All right, in your opinion, what are the top three things that are so important in like construction accounting? Um, definitely job costing, um, making sure you have the right expenses for the job that belong with the job, and then also tracking equipment that you already own, you don't have any debt on it, and just making sure that you're tracking the usage of it, any expenses that tie to it, making sure that it makes sense. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that you know, people think that um, buying new is always better. And they're not wrong, but sometimes, or not buying new, I guess, and keeping the old equipment. Right. Um, but it's probably costing you more money having that older piece of equipment due to maintenance. Yes. Um, I, I want to talk more about that because the number everyone the microception is that you get it paid for this older piece of equipment and that it's cheaper to run but not necessarily if you're repairing it all the time you have downtime the cost of hours is that kind of what you're getting at yep. yeah, yeah. Um, so you want to you want to for sure do the math I, I think that's a reason that we have more updated equipment yeah. um, to limit the downtime um, but it's also cheaper to run. Yeah. We we limit that we're all unlimited on manpower right now. We need to have top of the line equipment to get the job done. So, yep. um, and then uh, the first one you said was job costing. Yep. Just unpacking that a little bit. What are what are, what are the top things you think they're missing in the job costing area? Like, if I was going to job cost, whatever a concrete job, what? What am I? What What are most people probably missing, or where Where do the errors come about? Um, I think the errors come about probably in the indirect expenses, um, not accounting for those. What with, What are those? What's an indirect expense? Indirect would be you know the equipment usage. Okay. Um, and then you have you know your trucks, your trailers. Um, there's anything that's. You know, if you were going to go out and do a job, what does it take? You gotcha. know, you if you have a construction crew and a, um, you have a shop, I mean, technically, and a shop manager, that shop manager is part of the indirect expense. He manages the equipment um, for the shop, which provides um, the house, the housing for all of your tools and okay. stuff. Um, so I think just making sure that kind of stuff is truly included in a job. Um, because that's it. You need that stuff right. to run the job. Yeah, there's there's overhead yep. and there's indirect expenses. I guess you're kind yeah. of applying them. So, to most people, do you think, let's say, a smaller contractor, I'm just saying, maybe a five hundred thousand dollar a year plumbing company, do they? Do you think they track overhead? Do you think they know, or is that where do you, where do you think people start out and the microceptions are of like? you know, the shop doesn't cost any money because it's paid for, kind of like the equipment. Um, you know, uh, the shop time is fine because um, there's no overhead or, you know, they, I think they just don't calculate overhead correctly. Yeah. You know, there's just times like our guys in our shop cost us a lot of money. Yeah. They, they need to understand that and how that, why that builds our overhead up even higher. Yeah. Um, and so you need to be calculating overhead correctly. Yeah. Um, believe me, everyone has overhead here. Even if you have your, just your house and your personal office, you still need cell phone, um, license the cars, do all the things that 
our overhead, I think, a yeah. little bit too. So some of those microceptions. So how in the hell did you come to be an accountant or where, what, what, what made you decide that you wanted to be in the accounting space? I guess kind of tell us a little bit about Larissa. Um, so in high school, I was a part of DECA. So it's an association of marketing students and I was the president for our local chapter. Um, so I knew I liked business, I knew I liked marketing, um, but then for some reason when I started college I was like, I'm going to be a pharmacist. Oh, jeez, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Pharmacy? Um, yeah. Okay. I, I don't know, I don't know why, I don't know what the logic was behind it, but that was like, this is what I'm going to do. What, what, what is DECA? Like what? Association of Marketing Students. Just, so, you did um, marketing? Yeah, so you... Ed, it's just kind of like a after-school chapter activity um, in high school, and I believe they have a collegiate level two. Um, and so it's every year in like February, March, um, you they have a state competition, hmm. so you can go and um, you get to compete in different areas of marketing coming up with like strategic business plans. Oh. So not a lot of college or high school students say, I wrote a 28 page manual on how I'm gonna market this to this yeah. area. Yeah. Um, so we competed twice uh, my junior and senior year. And um, our first year we took third. And then the second year, we actually placed to go to nationals, and they have a national competition. Wow. So you compete with people from all over the world, actually. Wow. Yeah, Holy it's crap. pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I wish I'd have done that in high school. We placed second, and it was a friend of mine who actually is an accountant now, too. Um, <laughs> And we thought prom was more important, <laughs> so we went to prom instead of nationals. Oh boy! I kick right. myself every day for that one. Yeah, yeah. So, how you mentioned pharmacy then? Yeah. How does the marketing lead into pharmacy? I, I don't know. I have no idea okay. why I was. I think I was just you know in high school and your senior year they look at like, um, you spend a lot of time looking at career choices, and you see the income levels and kind of like the day-to-day, nine-to-five yeah. type of thing. And I was like, ooh, I like that income level and I like that schedule. <laughs> and <laughs> I think uh, that was kind of the driver. You worked it. backwards. Yeah, yeah. Found I did. the career. Hey, we do that in the marketing world. I think that's that's <laughs> fair to say. Um, that's that's pretty neat. So you, so this this podcast is about unfollowing the herd and following the common path mm-hmm. and business and entrepreneurship and them types of things. So um, you're in high school you were going to be a marketer then a pharmacist somehow landed in accounting which is which is to me a little bizarre yeah um but okay well where where did you start leading the pharmacy thing didn't work out yeah i was in like a microbiology two class or 200 300 level class and i hated it i got i i got through anatomy and physiology and you end up going into the microbiology after that and I absolutely hated it. I dropped it. I dropped the class, and I was like, well, I need this to continue on. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so the next semester, I just ran strictly generals. And then I picked up an intro to accounting. And I was like, I like this. 
this is how my brain thinks. This is how it works. You know, I am very step-by-step, um, -step, kind of black and white, the whole I, I don't do, like, um, kind of thinking, letting the what-ifs or like, you know, I don't know. I'm very step-by-step. -step. Instructions are my right. thing. Yep. No. Very uh, analytical yes. to the T. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you stepped into accounting and you were like, this is awesome. I stepped into accounting thinking, I'm pretty good at math. You know, I, I, I actually, when I went to college, I didn't, I got, I graded out of college algebra or whatever. Mm -hmm. You can take a test. I was, I was like, ah, accounting won't be so bad in business. Accounting has nothing to do with math. I figured it out. <laughs> and like, this is like an eye-opening thing for me. I'm like, debits, credits, it's like, who gives a shit? You know, I didn't, I didn't honestly care. So, um, but it, yeah, it is super important and it's super detailed and obviously very <laughs> what you do. So, so what, what made you, what made you love that? What, what, why did you love accounting and what obviously you loved it, or, yeah. you know, you're stuck with it to today. It, it came easy. I mean, obviously there's things that you have to learn that you, you just don't know about. And, but it wasn't something that was like, it challenges me, don't get me wrong. Like yeah. everything's a challenge, but it, it wasn't something that was like way outside my realm, my scope. Like okay. it, it just worked. And yeah. I was like, all right, I can do this. Like, I, I like this, this is, um, something I want to do um, and so yeah I just continued in the accounting path where were you in school doing that or um, so I started at Northland and Eastside okay and I um, I got my two-year degree I took what's called an ABA so it's an accredited business accountant okay um, I passed it I I will be honest by like one person I'm not a test taker like that's just <laughs> testing is, is awful for me um, I'm like this this answer can't be C because I've already had three C's in a row. So um, <laughs> that's it, like how my just, brain works. This just can't be C, <laughs> even though I know 100% it's right. I'm like, no, they would never do four C's in a row. That's so, awesome. <laughs> that's it's off. It's an awful thing to have, yeah. but that's just what I have. So I took that, um, and then I was interning for Dries Whiskey and Valiger, um, a public firm in town. Um, at the time. What, what, is the, what do they do? What um, it, they're a public accounting firm. So taxes, bookkeeping. Okay. Um, they, they do provide um, like just annual business planning, um, auditing. Okay. Um, More so tax related because I feel like there's two sides of accounting. It's like tax accounting and then like management. Like actual accounting. Management or, accounting. Yeah, Financial management accounting. Okay, yeah. Program or um, performance analytics so yeah so there is kind of two and I I think it just within the last maybe 10 20 years is when it's kind of like really split off but people just think CPA you know they think that tax uh, audit kind of yep. firm they for I don't know I feel like uh, management accounting is making a presence now within the last yeah. 10 years um, but so yeah, I worked for Dries as an intern, um, doing ind or individual tax returns, so 1040s, um, payroll, bookkeeping, financial um, compositions, preparing them, 
And so you worked directly with the CPAs as okay. basically kind of their assistant. You prepared it, they reviewed, and then it went on. So. Wow. So this is just lots of customers and yeah. you're shuffling so I, through. I probably had, I'd say, 75 different, like, oh, wow. specific clients that I worked on. And, you know, some are monthly comps, some were quarterly, some were yearly. So it really varied. Okay. Um, but it was different businesses, so that was kind of cool. You work like, I mean, I did payroll and comps for um, restaurants and bars, and then I would do it for chiropractors and at gas stations. And so it was just a wide range. And I think that's why I liked public accounting was because yeah. you you got a you got a touch or a taste of everything. You can see the sectors you would never want yeah. to go into. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Exactly my, that. <laughs> my entrepreneurship brain would say, okay. Um, we have tax accounting, we have management accounting. Yeah. Why would it not make the most sense to have it all under one hood, or why, why don't they? Like, why, why isn't the managing consultant also have the CPA in his backhand? Like, like why of, would that business work? A lot work? of them do. Okay. Um, a lot of them, a lot of people graduate with a four-year degree, get their CPA, and then eventually go into the management side. Um, I guess I'm not sure why. Yeah. I, Business idea. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Have an in-house account. It just makes life so much more simple. Like with all the different things I have going on, there's more accountants and tax people in my life. And I, it's like, I just want to talk to like one or two people. Like, yeah. you know, I just, it gets to be a lot and overwhelming. Um, okay. So you, you were, you were through college. You were up into so your I first career. That was your first job, that, right? Yeah, my first real job. Um, and I worked there for two years, and then this firm ended up merging with Brady Marts in town. Okay. Um, and so what I liked about Drew's Risky was they they were willing to kind of, it was, it was smaller, so they were willing to just say, all right, I want you to work on this. If you don't know how to do it, let me know. If you can't figure it out, let me know. I'll, show, I'll teach you if it's oh. something I hadn't learned in sure. school. Um, so they were willing to let you stroll outside of that two-year, like, no, you're a two-year accountant. This is the only thing. The limiting factor. Right. Yeah, they didn't limit you on what you could do. Um, when we when they announced the merger, um, and whether this is true or not, but we were told basically, no, this is you're an outsourcing consultant. You you just do bookkeeping. You just you don't uh, even prepare financials. You just so they limited dead. your opportunity. Yeah. So, and I was like, you know, that's just not, I don't like that. Like, I liked preparing tax returns, and not a lot of people <laughs> can say that. Like, yeah. Um, so it was, I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll go back get my four-year degree. Mm -hmm. So I started back in school, and then I found a job that kind of let me I was able to do both at the same time, be a full-time student and oh, work. And okay. So I worked for the public school in Manville, and I was okay. um, the office administrator. So I did everything um, from, you know, it, there, was, there was just a lot in Manville. It's a small school, so you do everything. And you're the one accountant doing the whole school? Um, so we had a business manager oh, as well. Gotcha. Um, but I probably helped her more than she helped me. So 
Yeah. It's, you know, it was one of those places where, oh, you've been in this position, you want to do this? Oh. Whether you're kind of qualified for it or not. Um, and, but I mean, I was a para. I filled in for the lunch lady. So I, I mean, I can, oh, like, I can cook for 160 people, like, <laughs> no problem. You're learning your skills. Yeah. Um, I did get my um, class B license. I think it's class B, so I could drive a bus. <laughs> Holy yeah, crap! You're the accountant bus. This is what this is real stuff that happens in North Dakota. Yeah. You're the you're the bus driver. You're the lunch lady, and you're the accountant. Yeah, and a para, and you did all the um, administrative office stuff. Um, Holy crap! Yeah, it, there's a lot that happens in a small school. Um, That's awesome, though. So, I ended up. I was there for a year. I loved my job. They just didn't offer the benefits that I needed because we were starting a family. I had just had my son that summer. Um, and then I went on to UND and worked in financial aid. Okay. And I was the, um, I don't even remember what my job title was, but I was in charge of the return of Title IV funds. So the return of Pell Grants, um, just federal student loans in general subsidized and unsubsidized so a lot of people don't know that when you pull these loans so even if you don't get grants but you get a subsidized loan and an unsubsidized loan you actually have to earn it oh you can't just like say i'm in 15 credits so you get awarded oh. x amount of money for your loans and then not go so my job was to throughout the year process withdrawals so when you withdraw you only earn a certain percentage of your aid um, and so I would calculate that and make sure they attended class and then eventually I would either pull it off their account or leave it depending on if they earned it or not. Wow. Um, and then at the end of every semester I'd have to go through and it, this Excel spreadsheet when you pulled it was about 38,000 lines. Well, you guys, you guys probably get excited about things like that. <laughs> this is a big one. Yeah. This is fun. You know, and it was, um, it was an interesting job. I felt like I was probably one of the most hated people in the office because students would call me like, why did you pull me? Well, you didn't go to class. Like, you, you physically had to just attend one day. That's yeah. all you had to do. Yeah. And you didn't. So yeah. you don't get this money. Um, You're like the ultimate of accountability. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would I would do that. I worked with a, the aviation students and um, co uh, cooperative classes, so they can work as like a flight instructor, and it counts towards credit. Oh, okay. So you still would be able to get financial aid for that. Um, I worked with. Um, just student advising in general. When they'd come in, have questions, you just oh. walk them through everything. Um, I did what's called verification, when the Department of Education verifies certain things as far as like people in your household, your tax returns, just yep. different things with that. So that was kind of I liked that because I I knew what I was looking at, right? <laughs> um, so it was a it was a good job. It was. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed working on campus and with the students. Um, but when I was there, as a, an employee of UND, one of their benefits is you get up to nine credits a year free, or three classes. Okay. So I was like, well, you know, I might as well just continue on. Yeah. 
So. Um, were you at school at this point? Were you still in school? You I were, went back to school. You went back to school, okay, from the from the the, from the, the, the bus driver, the yeah. lunch lady, <laughs> yeah. and the accounting. You, yeah. you went back to college, you were in college, and then you had this yeah, degree, I, okay. Um, we had just got, so I was in school. I went back to school, um, doing great. I was in my fall semester, and that's when I found out I was pregnant. I'm like, okay, this is not. Is this, what, what, at what point, how far along in the degree were you when you found that out? Um, I had completed two semesters back. So how I was, much did I was you have left? Junior, okay. technically considered with my credits. So I had a year and a half left. Okay, year and a um, half left. Okay, and then pregnant. And then pregnant. Yep. So we got married. We were building our house, and then all of a sudden, nope. Oh, Walker decided to come along. <laughs> um, Bless you, Walker. Yes. So I was like, all right, I have to just eliminate one thing like this. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll just put school on hold and put it on hold for, it was about two semesters, and then I was like, you know, since UND offers it, might as well take it, go back, picked up two classes. Um, I was in a fight with the Department of Accounting at UND because they were trying to make me retake classes that I had uh. taken at the tech because it was, they didn't consider them challenging enough, even though it was the same textbook. It was the same yeah. everything. Yeah, I did this in COVID too. Yeah. Tried to go back to school and just see if like it was worth getting the yeah. 12 easy credits so I could graduate. But uh, I'm still 12 credits short. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was. Uh, it was like you know. So yeah, the, the, I switched from an accounting technical major to a business administration. Is management is what I technically have a degree in okay um and because they i was like i'm not retaking these classes it's the yeah. same textbook like that, that's yeah just because you don't want to think that it was challenging enough or yeah whatever it's like it's the same textbook how can it be any less <laughs> ch challenging or you learn anything less like this, this is like the problem with school though yeah. as a whole like even the trades and all of that like the mm -hmm. schooling is you obviously had outside drive and probably could have done the job even without school. Yeah. Is probably my take. So it's like, I don't, I don't understand why you need four to six years of college to <laughs> yeah. really procrastinate on your career, yeah. probably. You know, it's like, I get in accounting, there's things you have to mm -hmm. learn. But could you have learned them at, you know, your first job, your, yeah. your, your yeah. school, and, and at a faster pace. And, and that's probably what drove me to continue on with my education was that it was like, okay, I can do this. Like, right. there's a, I always have a self-doubt of like what I can do and what I can't do. And it's like, no, just try. Yeah. Like, make an effort, see what you can do, like to not limit myself with what I do. Um, and so that was kind of my driving factor, like, okay, this is outside of what I learned in school, and I'm able to understand it. I'm able to do it. Like, I probably can. Like, yeah. You know, it's always that, I think, with the whole four-year degree, it was this whole CPA, like, trying to take that test. And, like, yeah. I'm not a good test taker. So um, <laughs> that was maybe why I was like, you know what, two years is enough. But what I did learn at UND, too, is that two years is not enough. A lot of places limit you, um, like, when you go through the hiring process. So. Oh. It was, it, even at UND, you go through, you submit your application, um, and it's basically a computer-monetized 
program that says, oh, nope, you don't meet these qualifications, they kick your application out. Yeah. So there was a, a position open in our office that would have bumped me up a level, but I didn't have a four-year degree. So whether already, so even though I was basically doing that job because yeah. this person had left and I was filling in, I wasn't hired for the position because my application get, kept getting rejected. And that's why this world is freaking screwed up. Yeah. In, my, in my opinion, you would be better accountant than anyone coming out of college today. I can be challenged on that in some ways, <laughs> but I would say that in a year, you could have probably learned this niche. You're in construction accounting now, but you've done all sorts of accounting. Yeah. I think you out in the field learned more than you ever did in that classroom, mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah. I would say these college careers got to get tightened up, get to the point, make a decision, mm -hmm. and move forward. So I, I, you know, the un un unfollow herd, the herd method is like people go to high school and then people go to college and mm -hmm. then you go to get a job and then you climb the corporate ladder. Well, in this case, you weren't able to finish school. So all of a sudden the opportunity, Brady March took over, said, nope, we're capping you here. UND said, nope, we're capping you here. That's screwed up. Yeah, yeah. You were probably the most qualified candidate in the room. Yeah. And so it's like, I just don't agree with that path. Yeah. And that that's kind of like, I mean, I was... I wanted to stay with UND, I wanted to finish my my degree, get my four-year, but I was like, you know what, I, I just, going through that struggle really just like brought morale down. Yeah. It was hard, it was like, and then when people, even managers or um, directors of your, your department were like, no, we have to follow this rule, when it's, they have ways around it, and they're just not. It's like, well, I, I have no, it really brought the morale down to, to do your best and to come to work every day when they weren't willing as like your manager or the person you should be able to rely on to make you better yeah. um, wasn't helping. And so I had um, found out about a position open in the egg industry um, here in Grand Forks, and it was wholesale chemi wholesale chemical and seed. Okay. Um, one of my a family friend, she had worked for the the branch up in Grafton. And she said, if you ever get a chance to apply here, take it. Um, it it was good benefits, good working hours, pay wise, and so there was a position open, and I applied and I got the job. So I was now working in wholesale chemical even though you weren't seed. qualified probably and no. knew nothing about wholesaling <laughs> seed or chemicals no. at this point no and um i started in so when i started there was four people in the office four office administrators is what our title was okay and within six weeks i was the only one. Oh boy yeah so it was like bad culture or just like people turnover just turnover i mean different opportunity some went different opportunities um and one was just, she should have probably been let go like a, oh. a long time. It just, yeah, <laughs> right. one of those ones. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Six it, months ago, it, should have been gone. Yeah. Um, and so it was, I, so I had six weeks of training with one of the, the girls, and then all of a sudden it was just me. And I was running the wholesale side, and then we also had a program, or Wilbur has a program. Um, which is called the Alliance Program. So is what they do is they enter in a contractual agreement um, with an outside re retailer. So they, oh. it's a strategic business partnership. Um, 
this alliance is what we called them. They would sell Wilbur's product um, and then at whatever cost they wanted and we'd split the margin. Whatever. Gotcha. 40, 60, certain um, areas had different percentage splits. But um, so we had 18 of those business partners. And okay. eventually I found myself from the wholesale side more focused on the alliance side. Um, I had to learn it myself, which was, it, it was a challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, I had only been there for six weeks. <laughs> and so I found myself on that side and I loved it. It was, it was good. It was a good job. And I built relationships with these 18 different small businesses. Um, you know, just, I was kind of like their go-to for a lot of things between sales, um, you know, where they were sitting at business-wise, money-wise. Okay. Um, and I enjoyed it. It was, it was great. And at, then, well, that, at that time, Wilbur, as a benefit to their employees, would pay for schooling. Wow. And so that is how I finished my degree. Pay for schooling. And you mm -hmm. had Walker at this point. And, and then had Willa. And had Willa. Yep. Gotcha. So I graduated with two kids <laughs> while working full-time and a husband and all of that. Yeah. Wow. So then I finished that. I worked for Wilbur for um, about eight months more. Then they went through a restructure, and it changed the morale. It changed oh, the culture. Gotcha. It, um, it wasn't wasn't good. Um, we had a was it like money or or something? Just a change. It was New management. A, yeah, so we went from having a branch manager to a who like ran our sales side okay. and the op side to having an operations manager and a sales manager. So I worked a lot. I would say 95% of my communication was with our sales manager, gotcha. but I wasn't a part of his team. Gotcha. So I'd be managed by an ops manager who knew nothing of what I was doing because 95% of my job involved being involved with the sales side, Got with the, the alliance side. Um, so they, um, it just, it, it turned, it turned kind of toxic. Um, we now had this area, or director of operations, I think is what they called them, of like the Midwest and then then we'd have a district ops manager, and then we had our branch oh, ops wow. manager. So we had this new hierarchy level of okay. they was just they just structured it, and it just didn't work. And right. um, I was like, I don't, I don't love it. I don't love coming to work every day. They, yeah. And I had, you know, and I when I decided I was I was done when the opportunity for Matt came up, I decided I was done. Um, I kind of gave him an ultimatum, and I had the sales side fighting to keep me, and the operation side not doing a thing. And I'm like, you know what? Whether, yeah, whether, I mean, I can see the drive and the want and the need for me to stay on this side, but the side that I'm actually a part of is like, oh, well, okay. Yeah. It's like, nope, nope. So I'm like, I don't want this. This isn't a good culture. It's Got not. It. Got it. And I don't know. I was, yeah. I just decided, eh, I'm done. I'm done. I'm. I. And at that time, you know, Cody had been here um, for two years. Which is her husband. <laughs> yes. Yes. Her husband works for us, and 
his wife is now an accountant. Yeah. So, I, you know, I wasn't sure how that was going to go, but I had been to two Christmas parties at that point. Oh, sure. Um, you know, I, I got to know your wife really good through yoga. Mm -hmm. We go to yoga together. Um, and just, uh, you know, outside of, of work, I'm like, this is what I want to be around. Mm -hmm. You know, hearing just how his day was and um, what was going on here, what they would do, you know, yeah. all the fun things that um, Chelsea would come up with for the guys. And it was like, you know, that that is what I want. That is a place that I want to work at. Mm -hmm. so. And I think our, you know, we face the same challenges as everyone else who's growing. I mean, there's lots of things that have to change and you have to adapt and whatever. And, um, you know, your, I think your first job, the managing Driscoll Drees moved into Brady Martz or whatever, obviously into a big structure. Um, how do you, I think some people can do this well, but like keeping the culture the same, no matter as we grow, because as we grow, more people come mm -hmm. and we're going to have more people. Yeah. Um, how do you keep the culture the same? Like, what do you think any, if you're, you're key? Because you've been through yeah. a couple bad scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like to limit people's opportunities because I think people come here for opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that's all I want to lift. But I also want to lift the culture with it, which is, it is difficult. Yeah, and I, I think it's just, it's making sure it's focused. Like, that, that, that's prime focus of yeah. whether that's management or uh, the ownership or, or whoever it is, is that it's not forgotten about. Right. And I, I feel like, um, you know, when you grow, you do obviously limit the things that you can now do. Like, mm -hmm. you can't just do this for this person and not this person, especially now in, in today's age where that mm -hmm. can get you in big legal trouble. Yeah. You know, um, but I think just making sure it's working around those those obstacles um, and just keeping a focus on it is, is truly how... What I think it's forgotten about, you know, yeah. um, and making making sure people at the highest level understand that. Right. When they understand that, then it's easy for the people below right. to continue that. Yep. But when someone in, you know, in a high, in the hierarchy that's the highest up there is like, no, we're not spending money on a, a Christmas party this year, or we're not doing this. Well, that limits what the managers can offer sure. to keep that morale up with the people underneath them. Right. So Larissa also seconds as an HR personnel for us. So culture is a big thing. We, we, we do spend significant amount of capital to yep. keep employee morale because a lot of our employees, which I think companies are adapting to, you're moving from the baby boomers who don't need much nurture at all to a millennial, <laughs> um, which is basically our company. And, and, they they need to be nurtured all the time. Mm -hmm. It's much different. It's just yeah. a much different world um, than it was 20 years ago, even. Mm -hmm. um, so um, super important. Um, well, let's talk about you're at Mac now. Mm -hmm. We uh, if the listener is going down the path of like construction or maybe any accounting, they're starting a business. Mm -hmm. Um, where do they start? Is it, do they have to pick up, you know, you hear QuickBooks and all these different, I don't know, fresh books. I don't know. There's yeah. probably hundreds of them by now. Um, you know, I used a simple spreadsheet. Um, I'm not an accounting guru, but I know how important receipts and some of our battles on the daily, um, where, where do you just start if you're 250,000 or less in revenue, you know, very just making a business. Mm -hmm. What, what, what's your recommendations? Um, I honestly would say finding the right technology 
Okay. That will help you really grow on your number side and understanding that too. Um, you know, there are a lot of public firms out there or you can hire a lot of freelance bookkeepers. So if that's not your area of expertise, don't try to do it. Yeah. You know, I like that. I like that. Because uh, one of the big things I always talk about, it's like I hire for my weaknesses. Yeah. I know where I'm weak at. Yep. Um, and and those, are, those are the people who are going to be able to say, you need to, you know, these are the, like, when you look at your expenses, you're like, well, why is it, why is it up here in my cost of goods sold and not in my overhead? I thought that was an overhead expense. And yeah. it's like, no, that is part of your, part of a job expense. You need, you know, to make sure that you're counting for it when you're mark when you're bidding when you're marking up and and so just not try don't try to do it all if you don't know how to do it I, I, yeah well there's certain ceilings like let's just say when i first started out my wife i was grateful that she's a little more detail oriented than me in the accounting side so then she liked putting that together and she's done her accounting i think yeah. you took it over from her um and so but she hit a ceiling yeah because she doesn't have any, you know, she, you hit a ceiling with someone's abilities. If they don't want to learn above that, mm -hmm. you, you, you got to, you have to go up and grab someone who's done that yeah. or been in many businesses, done it. So that's, that's when we out reached out and we're hiring for an accounting. We just seen that her ceiling was there and her want and, and drive was real limited to our capacity to grow. Yeah. So we implemented that change. Well, especially with, you know, residential that and self-performing your margin is is a lot bigger you have room for error when mm -hmm. you get into that commercial side and you're at that two percent um or the seven percent gross profit margin on yeah. average it's you don't have room to have a bad bid right and when that you know and then not accounting for certain things that should be part of the cost of goods sold your direct expenses when, when you don't have those in there, so when you're bidding and estimating and the historical data isn't correct because it wasn't put there in the first place, yeah. you probably have a bad bid and you're losing money. All right, yeah, and okay, I like where this is going. So <laughs> uh, this is, as you grow, these problems just grow because she's saying that basically if you're doing a million dollars a year, your margin might be 25, 30, 35, 50% just might be what it is. But as you grow into 5 million or 10 million or 15 million, these margins will shrink because now you're doing the volume. Mm -hmm. um, and so as you grow the volume, your accuracy needs to pick up as you go too, hopefully through your skills and abilities. Um, and if they don't, they get exemplified because there's not enough margin to just cover it. So. Um, maybe run me through can you help us understand like how do they get more accurate how do how do we how do we increase the accurate level from the very first saying hey mac here's a job or let's say as a concrete or a gc project or something that we had but like when they first start it what is the best you know, how do we start that off really well in the accounting side, uh, of course? Yeah, and, and this might keeping go the in, numbers right. It, this might go into kind of estimating or bidding, but it, right. it also falls into my side as well. Right. How does it affect you? Yeah. So you know, it's. I think when people are just starting out, is truly just saying, okay, what does it really take for me to to do this job and make X dollars? 
and just, you know, accounting for your pickup, the, it, the insurance on the pickup, the, um, the gas, the, the tools that you have to purchase, yeah. um, a, the space you need to house all of these things, just not letting those things fall out of, um, sight, I think when you're deciding how much you want to make on a job or how much it's going to cost, because then that leaves room for your gross profit to cover your overhead or your gross profit margin or gross profit to cover your overhead. The stuff that has nothing to do with the job. You gotcha. know, me sitting in the office has nothing to do with the performance of the job. And you would be considered overhead mm -hmm. in that case. So yep. making sure to calculate those, it's so you have your, they need to calculate A, their job cost correctly. Mm -hmm. um, don't just use the hip numbers because that gets you into trouble. <laughs> um, probably where scopes of work start and where scopes of work end, this is a little more pre-construction, but it does affect accounting yeah. when the budgets, when the projects go from bidding to executing when you get hired and you have, there's always gonna be something missing, but hopefully very little. Mm -hmm and the budgets because that's when the budgets don't line up yep. they almost never are successful yeah. there's just missing mm -hmm. there's missing pieces yeah and i think that's that's where those indirect expenses it's like well if i'm doing three jobs and i'm driving from job a b a to b and then b to c how do i split up my gas well that's where you know those indirect expenses come in and then they're allocated out based on however you want to do it whether it's by sales dollars or by labor hours um it's, you know, that's when, but accounting for them in your estimate, your bid in the first place is when you're going to actually see that gross profit that you want. Okay. And then you have your overhead and then your net profit. Um, so let's, I'm trying to think how we break this down into or, sixth grade level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's give them the juice. All right. So we got 10 jobs now done, yeah. mm -hmm. done, completed, job costed, um, these indirect expenses, which is the vehicles and the things that maybe random tools that we needed to get these jobs done. How do we make sure, because like you said, I might be driving gas from here to a certain job, but I might also be driving to another job. How do we regulate where all that gas goes? So how do you, is it based upon revenue or how do you break out what that direct, say the direct overhead is 100,000, how do you direct it towards those jobs? Is it based on percentage of? You can do two ways. Okay. So, and I'm not going to go, if I go into how I do it, it's <laughs> yep. because we are a GC, but also have a self-performed. So Operations. if you were strictly a GC company, you would do it by sales dollars by job, Kay. I would say. Okay. Um, if you are a self-performed company or a subcontractor, um, like our concrete side is, I would do it by labor hours. How many labor hours does it take for this job versus this job? And you kind of just divvy it out based on those okay. numbers. So I have 10 jobs. I'm on the operations side now. They all equate to about 5,000 hours. Mm -hmm. Whatever hours each job took, that's how you will take that hundred grand and apply it. Yep. Basically yep. to yeah. those jobs. Okay. Um, so how do you do it when, because I think there is a lot of GCs out there that do have an operational standpoint. Um, so how do you easily break those apart in one company? Um, so the biggest is probably making sure that your, 
you're keeping track of the division. Um, so if we have a GC division and a concrete division and um, we making sure everything's coded correctly just at the data entry level side. Okay. You know, anything that a, a GC charges to his card, gas, fuel, or, you know, um, supplies, anything that's to do with the GC, it's coded to the GC side. Okay. Just, so just keeping those two divisions separated. Um, and you then you can push it off from there. There's obviously things like the shop. So... Um, where we all it, have a it's shop. It's a little harder to to just decide. Okay, this is all a, a G or a concrete expense versus a GC because our GC we do have like the telehandler. They do use a skid every once in a while. Um, so is what I have done is I take those accounts, whatever our budget is for the year, and I divide it by how many job hours we have equipment allocated for in those jobs. Got it. Um, then get my percentage, and then I take those accounts that are a little more iffy because it, evolve, it involves both divisions and um, uh, allocate it out by the, their percentage of equipment usage. Okay. It just makes it more... F Split everything. Yeah. Split now, everything. the overhead side of it, that's a little harder. It, it can be a little... Yeah. Uh, more We're in the middle of that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So we haven't yet found a good solution so if anybody who's watching this ha yeah. has one yeah give please us please let me know <laughs> yeah yeah leave in the comments something yeah. to help us along here um we always talk about kpis yeah. you know that'd be probably the the latter factor if you're just a starting out or if even a start medium or high level what you know do you have a couple of kpis that you like that like in the accounting world affects your area like what's the most important things to you um, I would definitely say um, when it comes to billing, I like to watch um, the, well, I mean, it's, it is kind of gain or fade, but um, I like to watch what they're billing to make sure that we have cash flow. Oh. That, that is a huge Yeah, we issue. haven't. Yeah. So um, make sure you're getting paid probably how long the payments are sitting out there? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so kind of our, our AP, our, our days outstanding for okay. AR, days outstanding for AP, check those numbers. Um, I monitor um, making sure that whatever's being billed is what we have costs for plus the gross profit margin or the margin that we were expected to make. Because if they're not accounting for that when they're billing, that affects our cash flow. Gotcha. And so there are certain areas of um, when it comes to numbers that I like to watch that I make sure. In, in, in our world, it's a little different because we bill once a month. You know, we're not in the finish a job and bill every yeah. single day, or we're not a supplier where we can bill every single day. Yeah. Um, so being in our world, it's a little different. Some of these numbers, I only can look at once a month because I only have the data once. But yeah. um, it's more, okay, looking towards the future. A lot when we're sitting in this this uh, commercial side, you really are looking into the future when it comes to cash flow because you only do things once a month versus right. a smaller side, the, the residential area where you have those weekly billings. Yep. You can expect money to come in constantly. Yep. So... so 
there is a chart that you made for our company that I think can be really helpful for other companies if they don't have something like that. But I, I think we call it a crash flow projection. I think you were just yep. talking about that. Um, now we, you know, we'll talk about maybe a software. You can talk about the software you use and kind of how you build this chart. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very helpful um, on an owner perspective, on a accounting perspective, on a leadership team really understanding the way the cash flow because um, in construction we're like financing half the projects we do like I don't know why but 10% retainage is just ridiculous in my opinion when you're bidding 7% or 8% or 12% margin even mm -hmm. you're not getting anything you're actually financing to pay subs um, or they're waiting for their retainage it's just like it's kind of ridiculous how much they hold but Explain your cash flow model because I think that can help a lot of people in here, even from start to yeah. expert level. Um, so I guess the biggest portion of that is making sure you're kind of planning out your budget and sticking to your budget for the month because mm -hmm. that obviously affects your cash flow. Um, so having your budget broke out and really diving into it. like you know you've got quarterly expenses. So not just taking your budget for the year and dividing it by 12 months and saying, this is each month, this is how much I'm spending. It's really driving into each month, knowing where your quarterly expenses or your semi-annual expenses are coming out, factoring that in. So one month our overhead might look like it's 80 grand and the next month it might look like it's 130, just due to different types yeah. of fluctuation in expenses. So really starting with that and then accounting for your balance sheet items. So yeah. your loan payments, um, um, anything that, that's coming out that's not a, that doesn't sit on your P&L. I think that is probably an area a lot of people forget when it comes to cash flow or when they're just debt starting payments. out. Yeah, is your debt payments. Debt payments, yes. Yeah, I, I just love the simplicity that it's basically revenue Yep. Each month tied to a schedule mm -hmm. of the job. So we kind of know the job and how, when the end date will be. So we kind of know when our revenue is. Yep. Um, so I really like seeing that each month. And then, it, and then she breaks down the expenses each month into a budget. So we look kind of a no. And then we also know the debt payments. Mm -hmm. So at the end, we can say revenue minus expenses minus debt payments. We know how much cash we have. Well, now, instead of just projecting, say it's January today, February, we can actually project six months out and say, hey, we have a problem at month five. We really need to get some work in here. Mm -hmm. Or cash flow. Even if we take it at a lower margin. Yeah it will help us get through that hard month. So mm -hmm. I think that's what's super powerful for like my end yeah. viewing that just as a, again, sixth grade simple <laughs> level, right? Like yeah. um, I know there's lots of technicality on how you get there, um, but um, I think that's super helpful. Yeah, I think one thing with that cash flow too, it's not just saying, all right, here's my bank balance and I'm gonna add in my revenue that I built or my billings, it's actually when that money is going to come in so we might have billed two million dollars this month but we're not going to see it for 45 to 60 days yeah so it's knowing when that cash is truly going to hit the bank account so that's yeah. that is an area too where a lot of people are like well i build all of x y and z but that doesn't matter we didn't get it right your checking account balance does not mean no. you have the money or the that the bills have went out. So you have to understand that and your checking balance could be as big as you want, 
But your bills, <laughs> yeah, it's the trial balance that's gonna mm -hmm. keep you out of trouble. So yeah. never looking at your checking account. Don't even look at it. <laughs> Just look, have your accountant provide you the record. That will keep you out of a lot of trouble in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, I promise you. Um, okay, well, I think we got through a lot there. Um, and there's a couple of questions I, I, I just want to ask at the end here, um, <laughs> which, which throw everyone for a loop. So, um, um, basically, you know, if you if you close your eyes, I did this with Ryan Pineda, and I think it's it's helpful for everyone. It's helpful for me to understand everyone too. Um, if you were to envision yourself five years from now, so figure yourself out in 2028. Where do you envision yourself to be? What, what, what would be the dream outcome of Larissa in 2028? What would you want to be? Um, you know. It's a tough one. It is. <laughs> I, I like what I do, you know, and I am always for bettering myself, you know, but I don't know that like, but what I also like too is I also like um, comfort. <laughs> So I feel like when you get into a job that you like, sometimes it's not about continuing on and, and getting into bigger companies. It's, it's making the company you work for grow, just mm -hmm. essentially. And I, I, I like, especially within Mac, I mean, I like what I do. I like the culture. Um, I like, I just, I, I enjoy coming to work it works with my schedule, it works with my routine. So I know people are like, well, in five years, I wanna be the VP of Apple. And it's like, well, it, you know, that's a, that's a great drive to have, but if you like where you're at and you have the opportunity to just continue and make the business better, which I'm in a seat to do, yeah. um, I'm in that high level. So in my eyes, I would, I would like to see, yeah, I would like to be in the same position but with, and the same company, but I'd like to see it, you know, over that 100 million in sales a year mark. Yeah, oh, so hey, I like that. <laughs> Jeez, now you're, now you're speaking my language. It's, it's a hard question to ask, and I, um, Larissa, I, I gave her the chance to prepare a little bit for this, so, and I, I, I told her I was gonna have a couple sneak peeks at the end. <laughs> um, one thing that I, I think you've had kind of a journey through limiting factors. You've left some jobs because opportunity got cut. And so um, what is like, what, what would, the theme here is unfollow the herd, it's business, mm -hmm. it's construction, it's whatever. But what's unfollow the herd kind of mean to you? Um, I'd probably just say to, to do it your way on your own, your own time. So, I don't know if I mentioned, but obviously teach yoga. So I went through my 200 hour yoga training. Um, more as the idea is like, oh, I just want to teach so I can get free classes and because I like to, to go. And <laughs> so it was like, oh, I'll teach a class a week and then I'll get all the, or I can take as many classes as I want, not pay for anything. Like, But what I really learned in taking my 200 hour was a lot about myself. Um, cool. And how I used to really, or just being a lot about being present. So present within everyday life, just being present in knowing like how I feel in a moment. Um, 
just being really in tune with your with yourself. And what that with that, I would say unfollowing the herd is just just because everybody else is happy, if I'm not happy in that moment, I'm not gonna act like I'm happy. Yeah. Um, you know, really tuning into your own self is, is really um, what I would say unfollowing the herd is, is, is just because everyone else is doing it, if it doesn't work for you, it's just gonna, just gonna wreck yourself. Like, right. You know, um, not, the only thing, like if you if you continue to push yourself beyond your true limits, you're gonna end up going backwards. Mm -hmm. And the only thing it's really hurting, you're not hurting yourself by not being the top accountant in five years. The only thing you're hurting is your pride, yeah. really. Like you're you're not hurting yourself by by doing it. You're not hurting your everyday life. It's it's just the pride. So once you can get over that. Yeah. Well, you, you, you made your own path, right? Yeah. Like you didn't follow everyone else because oh. everyone else would have graduated from school, probably not got pregnant, you know, but <laughs> yeah. things happen, right? Like yeah. you just pivoted and, and bettered your, yourself. Yeah. And um, well, I appreciate this, Larissa. This is awesome. I hope that you guys stole some value from <laughs> accounting and construction. She's um, a blessing to our company because she is detailed. She understands this. It is complicated in construction. Accounting is not simple. Um, so if they needed help in the accounting world, where would we find Larissa? Where, is there a social media or is there, how would you want them to find you? Uh, probably LinkedIn. LinkedIn, yeah. all right. So follow her on LinkedIn, Larissa Zeman. We'll link it below. Um, find her, if you got an accounting question or you're starting out, I would not hesitate but to DM her. She knows her stuff, so. Thank you so much. We'll see you in the next one.